Father, we thank you for this um, beautiful morning. Thank you for the cool weather outside and for the opportunity to come together with other men and study your word. Lord, we do thank you for the food that you provide. And we pray, Father, that uh, you would use it to strengthen us so that we might serve you. Uh, Lord, we give you this time together and just pray that you would guide our thoughts, our discussions around the tables, the, the teaching, everything that we do, Father, that it would bring glory and honor to you and that you would show us uh, what it means to walk the narrow way. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and uh, we thank you for one another and for the opportunity to fellowship. Guide and direct us in the next hour that we have together. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Well, this morning we're going to take another one of our commands of Christ. And this, this is a, another kind of an interesting one that's a, a little bit different. You know, and it's made me think of um, phrases that you and I typically hear Things like, you know, have you ever heard your kids say, well, Dad, you know, everybody's doing it. You know, you just want to say, well, who cares? You know, and your, your parents probably said to you, like mine used to say to me, and I now say to my kids, hey, if they get up on the roof and jump off, are you going to do it? And my 13-year-old son would say, yeah. You know, he and his buddy, the other day, I look out in our backyard, and they had taken the trampoline, which I hate the trampoline. It's a lawsuit waiting to happen. They had taken and moved it under the basketball goal, and they were dunking. And, you know, I just I saw lawsuit, accident, stitches just waiting to happen. And sure enough, the, the other kid, who's a guest in our home, goes up, but he's underneath the basket and just goes right into the rim. I mean, just, and you know, luckily he didn't gash it, but everybody's doing it. Dad, come on, you come out here and do it. I'm like, no. No, I'd love to be able to dunk, but I'm not going to do it that way. It's cheating. Um, how about the more the merrier? You know, we've all heard that phrase. How about join the crowd, get on the bandwagon? You know, this idea that what everybody else is doing, we should do. If the majority does it, it must be okay. The majority rules. You know, that's that's kind of a mantra in in. Uh, a country like America, we seem to be ruled by the majority. Whatever the majority wants, that's what happens. But is that biblical and is it the way we should be living as Christians? Uh, when it comes to our spiritual walk, guys, it, is not, it couldn't be further from the truth. The majority does not rule. What everybody else is doing isn't necessarily what we should be doing. Uh, we are called to a different walk, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But the truth is, if, if you're a believer, you struggle with peer pressure. You know, our kids struggle with peer pressure, don't they? The pressure to act a certain way, talk a certain way, dress a certain way, do certain things, watch certain shows. But we suffer from peer pressure as adult males who happen to be believers. And it's a peer pressure to do certain things, say certain things, act in a certain way, behave in a certain way, peer pressure. It's alive and well, even at our age. And this morning, what I want to talk about is this, this command of Christ that he gives us that's pretty unique, and it's, it's twofold, and we're going to kind of take it apart this morning. It's found in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14. It says, 
Enter through the narrow gate. Remember, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Many of the commands that we've looked at are from this, this passage, this sermon that, that Christ gave early in his ministry. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. He talks about two different things that we're going to look at this morning. One is a narrow gate. That word could also be translated a small gate. Uh, The other is a narrow way. Sometimes translated, I think in the King James it's translated the straight way. But it doesn't really have as much to do with straight as it means it's, it's narrow, it's small, somewhat restrictive. So you've got a narrow gate and you've got a narrow way. And I want to look at that this morning because that's what you and I have been called to. We've been called to a narrow gate and then a narrow way. And what does that mean? He also says it in Luke 13, 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. That word strive in the Greek is where we get the word agonize, to agonize, to strive. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Strive to enter through the narrow door. What is the narrow door? What does it mean to strive to enter the narrow door? What's the narrow way? What are we called to? Are we called to a, a popular cause? Are we called to an individualistic cause? What is it he's telling us in this passage? Both of these passages have to do with salvation. And there's no ifs, ands, and buts about that. Jesus is talking about how do you get into his kingdom? Well, you're going to have to enter through the narrow gate. You're going to have to walk the narrow way. So there's salvation passages, but there's going to be more to it than that. He's talking to these people. He's talking to the Jewish people about how do you get into my kingdom? How do you, how do you get entrance into my kingdom? Remember, he's talking primarily to Jews, and they have a perspective on how you get into the kingdom, right? And he's giving them, as he does in almost everything in the Sermon on the Mount, he's turning the tables and he's saying, hey, it's not what you think. Remember, we looked at the passages uh, earlier where Jesus says, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Hey, that was a whole new ballgame for these people. Jesus was constantly changing the perspective and the conditions and the requirements So it's about entrance into the kingdom. It's not the normal way, okay? It's not the normal way. And the normal way for a Jew was through the law. How do you get into the kingdom? You keep the law. You're faithful to the law. But Jesus says it's it's different. This is going to be a narrow way. It's going to be a different kind of a way. It's also not the preferred way. The preferred way for a Jew was, hey, I'm a descendant of Abraham. I've already got my ticket stamped because I was born into a Jewish family and I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm an heir. So I'm I'm already going. And Jesus is saying, no, you want to get into the kingdom? You're going to have to go through a narrow gate and walk a narrow way. And you have to think these people are sitting there going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I thought I was already in the kingdom. I thought I was already part of the kingdom. That's why the disciples, I think, argued so much about who's going to sit in the right and the left. They're already assuming we're in the kingdom. Now it's just a matter of priority and position. No, you've got to come in a different way. It's not the accepted way. What was the accepted way of Jesus' day? It was according to the righteousness of the Pharisees. And next week, the command we're going to look at is, guess what? Your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. 
It's got to be better than the Pharisees. And when Jesus said that to the Jews of his day, that had to blow them away because in their mind, the most righteous people they knew were Pharisees. But it has to be better than that. It's not the accepted way. It's not according to the righteousness of the Pharisees. So he, he talks in this passage in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter through it. So first of all, he talks about a gate. There's some kind of an entrance. There's some kind of a place you go to, and this word gate literally is gate or door. It's, it's something that sits on a hinge and, and allows entrance into. So he says, you've got to come through the gate. And he's presenting a new way to get into his kingdom. A new way. Not according to their history, not according to what they thought, not according to the law, not according to being a Pharisee or being righteous or keeping certain rules or conditions. It's a new way. It's a new way. And it's through this gate. number of things I want to just go over with the gate. Number one is it's exclusive. And this is the part that drives so many people crazy about Christianity today. That we have the gall and the audacity to say there's only one way. But you know what? There's only one way. There's not multiple roads that lead to the top. There's only one way. It's exclusive. There's only one point of entry. There's, he doesn't say there's a lot of narrow gates. There's one over there and there's one over there. There's a gate, singular, one gate. And it's Jesus Christ. He is the only way. He's the only gate. And again, in, in Jesus' day, when he's, he's talking and teaching and preaching this, the people really struggled with the idea that it's only through this one man. And people today still struggle with the same thing, don't they? No, no, no. There's got to be, I'm a good person. Um, I believe in a God, a supreme being. I try to be good. I try to be nice. I'm, I'm a moral kind of a guy. That should earn me something. Well, no, it earns you nothing. Because it's only through Jesus Christ. In John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Oftentimes translated door. He says, I'm the gate. You, you want to know who the narrow gate is? It's me. And he says, whoever enters through me will be saved. You want to get into the kingdom? You've got to go through me. You've got to go through the door. And it's a narrow door. And we'll talk about that in a second. He also says in John 14, 6, I'm the way. Um, I was telling one of the guys this morning, I went back and did a study. And I looked up, we're not have time to do it, but if you want to do a, a fun study, go back and look up the, the term path or way um, in a concordance. And it'll take you primarily to Proverbs. But there's a ton of verses on the way, the way of the Lord. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's exclusive. The gate is exclusive. There's only one gate, and it's Jesus Christ. It's also new. It's a new gate. No one had passed through this before. Why? Because Jesus hadn't been here. I mean, he was with the Father, but now he's come. He's born as a baby. He's grown up as a man. And now he's in his ministry, and he is now the new gate. It's a new way. And the Jews, those people he's talking to, thought they were already in the kingdom. We talked about that. He, they're sitting there thinking, well, 
wait a minute. You know, I was born a Jew. I'm one of God's chosen people. Now you're telling me I've got to go through this gate? And that's why many of them refuse to do so. And they, they turn against Jesus. They turn their backs on him. It's also a narrow gate. That's the descriptor. The gate is narrow. It reminds me, of, if you've ever been downstairs and seen my office, um, I have a narrow door. I don't know who built this door. I don't know how long it's been there. But you can't go through that door with anything but you. And some people have a hard time even then. It's, it's so narrow. I can't, you can't walk in with anything in your hands. You've got to put everything down and then go through the door. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I moved into that office, um, I ordered furniture, and I was outside the office putting the furniture together, and, and Kathy Burr walks by, and she says, you'll never get that in your office. I'm like, Kathy, come on. I'm a man. You're a woman. <laughs> you know, I said, I can handle this. She says, you're not going to get it through that door. I said, I can get it through the door. It's okay. So I put everything together, the chairs, the table, everything, and then go to put it through the door, and it won't fit. So I have to take it all apart, put it in the room, and then reassemble it. It's a narrow door, and I can't think about this passage without thinking about that stupid door because it's highly restrictive. It's narrow. And what it makes me think is you can't take a lot with you through the door. It's narrow for a reason. It's a narrow gate that you've got to go through, and you can't take all your stuff with you because you won't get it through. You've got to leave it all behind. So it's narrow, and only one can pass at a time. See, the Jewish people of Jesus' day thought it was a group deal. Hey, we're all going together. Come on, this is going to be great. Salvation is an individualistic experience. Not nationalistic, individualistic. It's you and God, not you and 3,000 other people. It's, it's a one person going through at a time. It's not a turnstile, you know. It's, it's not a, a huge wide door that everybody goes through. Because what does he say in this passage? He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads where? To destruction. You know, it, it made me think this week, and I'm, I'm reluctant to say this, but that's never stopped me from saying anything. There's a church in town, which I think is really interesting, that's named, and, and if you go to this church, I'm not saying anything about your church. It's just an interesting name for a church, Broadway Baptist Church. And it just kind of hit me that, why would you call your church that? Based on this passage, the Broadway Baptist Church, when it probably should be the narrow way Baptist Church. Just an interesting aside, and you can do with that information whatever you want. (laughs) Only one can pass through at a time. This is not a broad, wide gate that lots of people can go through, and we are of a, a generation that we grew up with Billy Graham. I love Billy Graham, but we are of the crusade mentality that thousands of people walking forward is is just, hey, that's great, but it's still one at a time, one at a time. Only one can get through that door at a time. So it's individualistic, not nationalistic. It's not, hey, I'm a Jew, I was born a Jew, I'm in heaven. No, every single Jew had to make the same decision. It's also restrictive. The very fact that it's narrow means it's restrictive. It just 
It's inherent in the Word. Only a few are going to enter through it. Not only can you not get through with a whole lot of stuff and one at a time, but Jesus tells us in this passage, only a few are going to go through it. And as much as we would love to see everybody saved, and we need to pursue the salvation of every individual, not every individual is going to accept Christ, are they? We know that. We know that there are certain people that are going to say no and never go through the door. And we're also told in this passage that many are going to try, but they're not going to make it. He goes on and he says, verse 14, The gate's small, the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. There are few who find it. Few are going to get through. I love John 13, 24. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. What does he mean by that? Does that mean that if they come to Christ and say, Christ, I I want you as my Savior, he's going to go, no. No, that's not what this means. It means they're going to try to get to the destination through another means. They're going to try to come another way. And in another passage we're going to look at, they're going to come too late. They're going to come too late, and he's going to say, the door's closed, it's too late. So it's restrictive. It's also temporary. This door will not remain open forever. The gate will close at some point. It's someday going to close. And this should motivate you and I as believers that, hey, we've gone through the gate, but guess what? A lot of your friends and family have not. And that gate will not remain open forever. It will close at some point in time. John 13, 25 Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Man, I can't think of any sadder passage than that one of people who now want to go through the door, but the door has closed. The offer is no longer there. And they're going to knock. They're going to bang. They're going to plead. And God is going to say, No, the door has closed. Now, you may think that's harsh. You may think that's, how is that a loving God? But the very fact that anybody got through the door is a picture of a loving God. Because guess what? None of us deserve to go through. But the door will close someday. It's temporary. The good news is the gate's life-giving. It leads to life. That's what this passage tells us. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads where? To life. It leads to life. It doesn't lead to destruction. The other way, the broad way, the one that is real easy to do, that everybody's going on, leads to destruction. This one leads to life. So that makes it worth the effort. It makes it worth the effort to go through it because it leads to life. Jesus tells us in John 10.10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. You know, Jesus wants you to have life. He wants you to have abundant life. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to experience. Enjoy this experience of life here on earth, but even more, life in eternity. But you've got to go through the gate to get to it. You're not going to get to it any other way. But what does the world tell you and me? Hey, you want life? Go this way. Go through this door. Go through this gate. Take the broad way. Do what everybody else is doing, and you'll have life, and you'll have it abundantly. But this passage tells me that it always leads to destruction. There's only one gate, there's only one way, and it leads to life. Everything else leads the other way.
You know, that, that word, you know, make every effort, exert every effort, agonize to get through the gate. If you look back at Luke chapter 13, verse 24, it says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. Agonize. Make every effort. Exert every effort. Every energy. Put Christ in there. Remember, he's, he's talking to Jesus. He's saying, make every effort to enter the kingdom through Christ. And no other way. And wasn't it going to be an effort for them to do that? Because everything they had been trained, everything they had been told, everybody around them, every religious leader was going to say, that's not the way. So they were going to have to make every effort to enter the kingdom through Christ. Then he says, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter, not the door. They're going to seek to enter the kingdom by a different door, a different way, and will not be able. So make every effort. Once you make every effort to enter the gate, you know, why is this striving so necessary, both before and after? There's a couple of things I want to share with you. Number one, and this is true before salvation and after salvation, Satan is out to destroy your soul. You've got to make every effort to enter through that gate because he's out to destroy your soul. He's out to destroy every non-believer. And guess what? When you become a believer, he doesn't go, well, I lost that one. He's still out to destroy your soul. See, Satan's not the brightest bulb in the box. He still thinks he can win. He still thinks he can defeat you even though you are secure. And that's why many of you struggle with your salvation. And you have doubts. And he's in your, whispering in your ear, going, you call yourself a Christian? You're a loser. You can't do anything right. You just yelled at your wife. What kind of a man does that? What kind of a Christian man would act that way? He is constantly out to destroy your soul. And that's why so many of us as believers struggle with our Christian self-esteem that we really don't believe we're heirs of the kingdom. He's out to destroy I love 1 Peter 5 eight says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, to destroy, to devastate. That's not just unbelievers. It's believers. I think it's even more believers. Because if they're lost, they're already in his camp. They're already his. They're under his control. But once we become Christians, he's out to defeat us and destroy us. He can't keep us out of heaven, but you know what? He can keep, keep heaven out of us. He can keep the joy out of us. He can keep our mind off the things of God and keep us in this world defeated and distracted. So I think that's one thing. Satan's out to destroy your soul. Also, you've got to agonize. You've got to make every effort because your natural appetites are out to destroy you. And if you're alive and you've got a pulse, and if I put a mirror under your nose and there's, it fogs up, you struggle with this. You have natural desires. You have pride. You have lust. You have a thought life. You have urges that you have that are natural, that are earthly, that you struggle with, and you will struggle with them unless you suddenly don't have a pulse. Because it's part of the battle you and I have, even as believers, that we have the flesh and we have the spirit, and they will constantly be at war with one another. Till the Lord calls us home. Now, I have less battle than I used to have. I am more successful in defeating these appetites than I used to be. But they're still there. And any time I think I'm over something, that's a dangerous place to be. 
Well, I don't struggle with that anymore. Well, guess what? Watch out. It's coming. Because we will have to battle these things. Peter urges, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Your, your sinful desires are out to destroy your soul. They're in there. They're real. It's not just Satan on the outside. It's our heart, which still struggles with us and against us. Third, the world hates you. And this is hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to come to grips with because we so want the world to like us. We so want people around us to like us. But Jesus warned us, he says, but if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Come to grips with it. The world hates you. If you were a child of his. So you've got the enemy, you've got the flesh, and you've got the world. All three fighting against you, which is why we need to continue to make every effort. I'm assuming, maybe wrongly so, that most everybody in this room has entered through the narrow gate. If you haven't, you need to make every effort. Every effort to choose that way as the only way. But if you have, there's a second phrase used in that Matthew 7 passage. It's the narrow gate and it's the way. The narrow way. So not only do we have to choose to go through the narrow gate... We've got, once we get on the other side, guess what? You've got to walk the narrow way. You know, it's, here's what I think most of us think. Okay, I can handle the narrow door. There's only one exclusive way. It's narrow. I can only go through one at a time. I've got to leave all my stuff outside and go through the door. But once I get inside, man, it's going to be, it's like a super highway. It's great. But no, what does this passage say? It's a narrow gate that leads to a narrow way. Why is that important? It doesn't lead to the broad way. It leads to a narrow way. And it's over up against the wide way that a lot of people can go down that has the big crowds. It's a narrow way. We have to go and enter it. We have to enter that way. Go through the gate and then begin to walk the way. Walk the narrow road instead of the broad road. Now, what that tells me is that there's going to be a temptation, even once we get through the gate as believers, that there are other opportunities we could pursue. There's other ways we could go. Even though we've made it through the gate, we've accepted Christ as the way, we could still wander, right? We could still take another path. We could still backslide. We could still get distracted and head off a different direction. It doesn't mean I'm not going to go to heaven, but it could certainly mean I don't live the life I've been called to live. I'm not as fruitful as God intends for me to be. There is a way. Again, Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, which is most people we know. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. You want life? Life, not only eternally, but life now, you've got to walk the narrow way. This is what discipleship is all about. It's the narrow way. It's not the broad way. Guess what? Even here at Christ Chapel, the vast majority of the people do not currently and do not aspire to walk the narrow way. They don't. If... if, If we were to stand up in the pulpit and say, 
you need to walk this narrow path. This is my opinion, but I think many of the people out there would go, that's a little restrictive. I don't know that I'm interested in that. I went through the gate. Now I just want to enjoy my life. I got my ticket. But no, it's a narrow road that we're called to walk down. But guess what? It leads to life. It leads to life. It's one thing to enter the gate. It's another thing to walk the path. Think about that. How many people accept Christ because of the guarantee of heaven, but then refuse to walk the narrow way? They refuse to walk that narrow path that God has called us to. That is what discipleship is all about. It's, it's walking the way, the narrow path that he's laid out for us. Here's what walking the narrow way requires. Just a, a few things. Number one, perseverance and faith. You will have to persevere. It's narrow. It's restrictive. It's not broad. It's not wide. It's not elegant. It doesn't have flashy lights. It's not a thoroughfare. It doesn't have a whole lot of people walking with you. So you're going to have to persevere because sometimes you're going to think, is this really the best way? It's like being on a trail that you're walking and it just doesn't look right. Does this really lead to the right place? Am I really going the right direction? Maybe I should backtrack. I saw a fork in the road back. Maybe I should go back there. Persevere in faith that this is the way you should go. You're going to have to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to have to practice obedience. If you're going to walk that way, that narrow way, it's going to be in obedience to Jesus Christ because who walked it before you did? He did. He walked that way. It's overcoming constant opposition. The enemy, your own thoughts, um, your sinful nature. You know, walking the narrow way, you're going to walk along for a while and then you're going to go, you know, this isn't fun. This isn't that enjoyable. There's not very many scenes. There's not much to do along this narrow way. It was a whole lot more fun going that way. Opposition. You're going to have to overcome it. You're going to have to reject every temptation to, to leave the path. Even if it's just for a moment. You know, uh, you know, I don't really want to walk the narrow way today. I know you don't think that when you wake up in the morning, but isn't that the way we live our lives sometimes? That we wake up and go, you know, today's not a narrow path day. You know, today's a broad path day. I'm going to go have some fun today. You have got, I have got to reject the temptation to leave the path. We have been called to a narrow way. And I know that sounds highly restrictive, but guess what? It's highly restrictive. But at the end of it is what? Life. It's life. If you want to enjoy life, if you want to enjoy life here and you want to enjoy life in eternity, walk that narrow way. Refuse to be self-seeking and self-pleasing. What's the two things that would get you off the path? Well, the one thing, it's you. It's all about me. See, this is not your path. This is God's path. And as soon as you start thinking about me, you don't want to walk his path. You want to walk your path. You want to blaze your own trail. But no, he wants you to stay on the path. Walking the narrow way is called, and I'm just going to blow through these pretty quick. These are passages that talk about the way. And again, I looked up so many of them, but these are just a few. In the scriptures, the, the way, the narrow way, is also called the way of the Lord. This is his way. This is what, you want to know what God wants you to do? You ever want to know the will of God? The will of God is you walk the narrow way. 
It's the way, and that word is path, highway, road of the Lord. It's also referred to as the way that is good and right. Walking His path is the good way. It's the right way. It's the, it will lead to good things. Even though it looks bleak and it looks dark and it looks bleary and it looks, man, this looks boring. No, it's the right way. It's the good way. Psalms refers to it as it's His way. Who, who made the trail to begin with? You ever walked in a trail? You ever gone on a hike? Somebody made the trail. Somebody blazed the path. Otherwise, you wouldn't have any place to walk. Who blazed the trail? He did. It's his way. It's referred to in Proverbs as the way of wisdom. You want to be wise? Take the right path. Walk the narrow way. It's the way of righteousness, also in Proverbs. It's the way of life. It leads to life. But it's also life. It's true living when you're walking that way. And as restrictive and as narrow as it sounds and negative as it sounds, it's really, it's, it's, it's a wonderful way to walk because you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're receiving the blessings of God as you walk along the way. And you're being protected from those things that would destroy you. It's referred to in Isaiah as the way of holiness. You want to be holy? Walk the narrow way. You know, holy is not some ethereal thing that we can't get our hands around and it's just, do I have to go join a monastery and hum a lot and not talk? And, you know, what, what is... No, it's walking the path He's called us to walk. It's the narrow way. And it's the way of truth. Not falsehood. Not the broad way. Not what everybody says go do that's a lie. It's the truth. It's walking the path of truth. And it's the straight way. It's the straight way. You know, I've always, I've always kind of pictured, for some reason, and I don't know where I got this from, but that the, that the way that Christ has called me to is this kind of circuitous, you know, precipice-filled, dangerous place that is just full of pitfalls and places to fall off and kill yourself. And, but it's really not. And I think to call it the straight way is really accurate. As a matter of fact, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress... When Christian gets on the path, what he finds out is when he, when he goes through the gate and he walks through the path, he finds out that the path is narrow, but guess what it has on either side? Walls. And those walls in Pilgrim's Progress are called salvation. And guess what? You can't, you can't fall off this path. You can't lose your salvation. There's no place to fall off and die because you're secure. And it's straight. It's a straight shot. It leads to the right place. There's no way to get lost on this path. It just happens to be narrow. But you can't get lost. It's straight. Well, what makes it difficult? We kind of touched on this. It's your own sinful nature. It's really hard to stay on that path. It's the lust of the flesh. And it's the pleasures of this world. You know, you're going you're gonna to walk that path, and it may have walls, but guess what? You're going to hear voices calling. You're going to want to backtrack. You're going to want to do other things. You're going to get tired. You're going to feel restricted. You're going to feel like, this is no fun. This is not what I want to do. I want to do my thing. I want to walk my way according to my will. All of those things are going to make it difficult to walk this way. And guess what? The praise of men. 
I love, if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, read it. I love the names of the characters. Worldly wise man. You know, um, pliable. I mean, these people that he meets along the way, their names are descriptive of who they are. And all along the way, Christian, on his way to the celestial city, is tempted by these people who say, oh, you don't want to go do that. I've gone down that road. That's not the right road. Come with me. And there's all these distractions along the way. And one of them is the praise of men calling to us, praising us. Hey, you're too smart for that. You're too good for that. And then prosperity. Prosperity. There's nothing wrong with money, but money can cause us to turn away from the kingdom. There's a character in Pilgrim's Progress who represents wealth, and his money keeps him. And he's pictured as this obese guy who just, he has so much opulence that he can't, even if he wanted to go through the gate, guess what? He couldn't fit through the gate because he's got too much stuff. The allure of prosperity, the power of pride, all of these things can keep us from walking the narrow way and making it more difficult for us. Well, what we're talking about is the narrow way. It's a uh, it could be referred to as the road less traveled, which is the name of a, a book. It's also, uh, there's a poem by Robert Frost called The Road Not Taken, often referred to by this title, but it's not the accurate title. And uh, the very end of it, he talks about walking down in a yellow wood. You've, you've heard two roads diverge in a yellow wood, and he takes a, a path that looks like it's been less traveled. And at the very end, he says, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. It's, it's taking the road, the path, the narrow path that is not the normal one. It's not the one everybody takes. And as disciples of Christ, you and I have been called to walk a narrow path. Go through the narrow gate, Jesus Christ, and walk the narrow path. It's not popular. It's not necessarily well-traveled, although... Millions upon millions have passed before us. But you're not going to go necessarily with the crowd. It's you and Christ walking this path together. You'll also not enjoy the company of a lot of people. Even your own family. Even in this church, you may be called to walk a narrow path that not even people in this church will walk with you because they're not ready. They're not really ready to take that narrow path. And it may not be easy there's going to be distractions. There's going to be temptations. But you've got to keep walking. You've got to keep persevering. You know, we, we uh, talked a lot about the negatives. We've talked about how hard it is. We talked about that it's restrictive. But I want to close with something from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I'm just going to read this to you. I want you to just think... And it's about the narrow path. It's about walking this narrow path. And if you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, he was a um, pastor in Germany, in Nazi Germany, who stood up against the Nazis. And he died for it. He went to prison and he died in prison. And he wrote many of his best books while in prison. So this guy knows what it means to walk the narrow way, to walk a path that others didn't want to walk. Listen to what he says about the road less traveled. The path of discipleship is narrow, and it is fatally easy to miss one's way and stray from the path. 
even after years of discipleship. And it's hard to find. On either side of the narrow path, deep chasms yawn. To be called to a life of extraordinary quality, to live up to it, and yet to be unconscious of it, is indeed a narrow way. To confess and testify to the truth as it is in Jesus, and at the same time to love the enemies of that truth, his enemies and ours, and to love them with the infinite love of Jesus Christ, is indeed a narrow way. To believe the promise of Jesus that his followers shall possess the earth, and at the same time to face our enemies unarmed and defenseless, preferring to incur injustice rather than to do wrong ourselves, is indeed a narrow way. To seek the weakness and wrong in others, to see the weakness and wrong in others, and at the same time refrain from judging them, to deliver the gospel message without casting pearls before swine, is indeed a narrow way. The way is inutterably hard, and at every moment we are in danger of straying from it. If we regard this way as one we follow in obedience to some external command, if we are afraid of ourselves all of the time, it's indeed an impossible way. But if we behold Jesus Christ going on before step by step, we shall not go astray. But if we worry about the dangers that beset us, if we gaze at the road instead of him who goes before, we're already straying from the path. For he is himself the way, the narrow way, and the straight gate. He and he alone is our journey's end. When we know that we are able to proceed along the narrow way through the straight gate of the cross and on to eternal life, and the very narrowness of the road will increase our certainty. Let me read that again. The very narrowness of the road will increase our certainty because guess what? It's not broad. Hey, there's not a whole lot of people going. This is probably the right way. The way which the Son of God trod on earth and the way which we too must tread as citizens of two worlds on the razor edge between this world and the kingdom of heaven could hardly be a broad way. It's a narrow way that leads to life and it's the one we've been called to. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that uh, you sent your son to walk this path, to blaze the path ahead of us. He's walked it. He's cleared it. It leads straight to heaven. And Father, it's narrow for a reason. It's restrictive for a reason. It doesn't allow for a lot of going back and forth and taking our own way and our own path and this is all about your will, your way. Help us to live according to your way, to walk your path, the narrow way that leads to life. And Father, help us to understand that it, it is an enjoyable path to be on because we know we're in your will. And the longer we walk it, the more we realize I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And the fact that it's narrow keeps me on the straight and narrow. Because I'm going to watch every step. I'm going to be careful not to do anything stupid. Keep me on that path. Help us to persevere. Father, I pray that we would see more and more of us, as men especially, be willing to walk the narrow path. And someday, Father, we're going to turn and look behind us and we're going to see that we weren't really alone on the path, but millions upon millions were walking the same way. Father, thank you for these guys. Bless them. Encourage them. Keep them faithful to you, Father. May we be disciples who walk the narrow way and refuse to walk the broad way. 
And we pray this in the name of Jesus.